Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today is our conversation with Christian Alsman, concept artist, visual effects art director for movies like Attack of the Clones, Episode 7, Rogue One, and so much more. Break out your copy of Phil Shostak's Art of the Force Awakens, because this is Talking Bay 94, Episode 32. Christian Alsman. In your work at ILM and Lucasfilm, I would love to first talk about what made you even want to become an artist? What inspired you? Which artist? Was it Sid Mead or McCory? Or, or what was that initial step that you took? I saw, actually, as, as perfect as this sounds, it was Star Wars, actually. <laughs> um, I was... I think six when I saw it. No, five, five. And that first year or two when Star Wars came out, you know, it was 77. I think I saw it later in the year. I didn't see it right when it came out. There was nothing out on the movie. Mm-hmm. You couldn't, I mean, the, the, even the, the toys took a good year to come out. Um, so I remember just being this frustrated kid that wanted more <laughs> Star Wars and I couldn't I wasn't able to keep going back to the theater, so I think the first things I wanted to draw, I was obsessed with Star Wars, and I wanted to draw Star Wars because I couldn't see enough mm-hmm. imagery from it. There just wasn't enough out there. We didn't have the internet and all these wonderful okay. promotional things, so I just drew everything from my memory, you know, all my got all my stick figures going. So, <laughs> And, you know, at that point I found out about... As I got a little older, of course, I found out about Ralph McQuarrie, and I was like, oh, my God, there's a guy who gets to draw for Star Wars. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then I became obsessed with his work. Very, very cool. What was the next step you took in terms of actually making it a professional career? Um, let's see. From there, I mean, from there, I was also into animation and all the mm-hmm. Disney movies. Um, I was studying from those books there was a really great book called the illusion of life from disney and um i was like oh maybe so i want to either be one of the nine old men from disney or i want to (laughs) be you know ralph mccrory um and then you know growing up in the 80s just being i kind of felt like it was a that decade was like this golden age of you know special effects and fantasy science fiction i mean i grew up watching movies like you know, Excalibur and Clash of the Titans and Tron and Blade Runner and Aliens and there were, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark that I was just like hopelessly in <laughs> with film. And the whole time I'm just drawing. And yeah, I mean, as I got through high school, I was really into it. I took a, a tour of CalArts, which is a school in Southern California that's that was started by Disney and trains a lot of the, the really great animators. And I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, I want to go here. This is like the best. And then I saw how much it cost and that dream went away for a few years. You know, I mean, part of, part of growing up for me was realizing that being an artist in movies didn't, in my head, it was like, oh, well, yeah, well, why don't you become the next you know, guitarist for Van Halen, like that's <laughs> happened, you know? Um, and so a lot of it was, you know, after having my hopes dashed at uh, seeing the cost of CalArts, I 
I spent way too many years in junior college trying to figure out something else that might work for me. And I finally just got fed up with it all and said, the, the big life question for me is, well, what do you want to do 40 hours a week, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at a job? And I was just like, oh, okay, I just, I just want to draw. And so that, mm-hmm. this was a, <laughs> unfortunately, like six years from CalArts to the, the end of this, the me, end of me getting fed up and going, I don't care if this is a make-believe job or not, I'm going to go for it. And uh, by then, I qualified for a bunch of uh, financial assistance to go to, uh, I wanted to, I changed my mind and I wanted to go to Art Center in Pasadena, which is Southern California as well. And of course, I chose Art Center because Ralph McQuarrie went there, Sid Mead went there, you know. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, th- this will be the school to, to go to. And um, I, you know financially was able to make it through on the skin of my teeth for a while mm-hmm. until I started getting some scholarships and stuff. Uh, yeah, and it all kind of, you know, and even somewhere during the middle of that whole experience, I started getting into oil painting and children's book stuff. And I, the film ILM thing went into the back burner until one day uh, I saw that ILM was actually coming to do on-campus interviews. Uh-huh. And uh, I was like, oh, well, geez, here, here my whole portfolio was filled with, I was gunning to go to like DreamWorks or Disney Animation. And I was like, but ILM's going to be here. I got to sign up. It's a totally inappropriate portfolio. I, I mean, at the very least, they'll laugh at me. But you know what? At the end of the day, I'll say I got to meet someone from ILM and that'll all be fine. So I sign up. I bring my portfolio no pressure on me at all because I'm thinking I'm totally just the wrong fit. And they're going through my portfolio and they're, I could tell they're into it. And they're like, well, God, you know, um, you have really great skills here. And um, it just so happens we're working on a, uh, we're trying to get our first animated film going. And, it, you know, just good timing for me. All right. And I remember them asking me a couple of, questions on my interview that that really stuck out like I you know I did really well at Art Center at least grades wise I was like graduated with distinction and they'd ask me if I if I thought grades mattered for an artist portfolio and I said well yeah if you think of every (laughs) I think if every teacher is like an art director you know and you've done the assignment you've made them happy and I all of a sudden it's like the temperature went up in the room and like I went from thinking there's no way I got this job to, uh oh, they're looking at me differently now. <laughs> <laughs> it started getting nervous. And then I remember another question. They said, So, um, how did you pick Art Center? And I told them about Ralph McQuarrie going there. Uh-huh. And they didn't know that Ralph McQuarrie had gone to Art Center. And then now the temperature went up another 10 degrees. <laughs> and then they started talking about when I could start and, 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 <laughs> You know, and and I was just like, and, and, you know, the nerves flooded in at that point. I'm so thankful at least that didn't happen till the end. But but so basically right out of art school, I got I got a job at ILM, you know, as a production assistant at first, you know, making copies and scans and cleaning out our dishwasher in the department and all that sort of stuff. But once you're in, it's a it's a good place to be. 
That's so great. Uh, so your first projects, I guess, with ILM on IMDb, it, the first one really there is is Star Wars: Attack of the Clones. What was your impact there? What were you kind of working on in, in that capacity? Yeah, Attack of the Clones. Um, it was mostly it was a lot of different stuff here and there. Um, I think uh, the biggest project for me on that was the the whole speeder chase through Coruscant. So the, there was a lot of and I did not go to school for architecture, but they, they was like, okay, so we're going to design all these buildings. And I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, I can fake <laughs> my way through that. You know, yeah. you know that we had like a financial district. We had all these districts called right. out so that we could talk amongst ourselves of what part of the chase. It was like a, there was a, a warehouse district, an industrial district, and then there's that whole tunnel. I, th- I think I designed that whole tunnel that they fly oh, wow. Yeah. So a lot of, and then doing a lot of color breakdowns too, so that you could tell just by the palette which district you're in. You know, it would mm-hmm. change, it would feel different. And then just different random things like when they're in that, when Padme and uh, Anakin are in that, uh, the droid factory, and it's it's almost like a, a you know, Mario Brothers video game where they're going to get stamped and stomped. Right. Um, designing a lot of the machinery in there. Um, yeah, just random stuff throughout that movie. I was, of course, over the moon to get to work on. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that must have been crazy. I mean, the Droid Factory scene especially was, I believe, reshoots. I think that was just kind of tacked on a little bit later on as well. That must have been an interesting challenge to have to build something that was not even initially scripted. Yeah, I mean, back, you know, it's funny. Back then, <laughs> weirdly, I mean, you could probably look at the art of books. You know, a lot of the times uh the work we did then at ilm it was uh at a later stage so it they they didn't have time to get those those pieces of art into the books because they you know they had public uh publishing deadlines but right um but that that back then like that i wasn't even aware of what was going on with the production it was just like (laughs) it was just like hey we need six different types of robot arms that look one that can weld one that can grab something you know and back then it was all just like pencil on paper um and i think i you know i might have colored them up in photoshop in the computer Mm -hmm. but yeah it was still we were still on the cusp of going old school to new school so so to speak well i'd love to talk about that too because that's super interesting what your process is now especially when you're putting together a piece of concept art i'm sure it depends on the timeline you're given but is it mostly 2d still or do you kind of go towards a 3d extension of of your skills i think i think now just in the last like two or three years i pretty much always start with i always put something in there that's 3d we're using it so much more extensively now in in the kind of the concept art industry it, and it really helps with the design to think you're really thinking of something in three dimensions, you know, that because of that. Uh, but either way, you know, if I'm if I'm using 3D and then then I'll do a quick render and, and paint it up in Photoshop. I mean, pretty much nine times out of ten, it starts when I'm in the meeting and they're discussing what they want from us. I've I've got a sketch. I've got a sketchbook open, and I'm already drawing little ideas. You know, 
well, I guess moving from Attack of the Clones and then moving, you know, there's about a 10-year big chunk of work that's not Star Wars related. And, and we are a Star Wars podcast, but I would love to talk about <laughs> some of those pieces because, you know, Pirates is, is a huge amount of, of incredible concepts that came out of that. War of the Worlds mm-hmm. is kind of now come back as one of these modern sci-fi classics. Um, even like Indy 4, I love Crystal Skull. And um, what were your involvements with, you know, the projects that came into ILM? And did any kind of stick out to you as you progressed into then working on, on the sequels and the Disney movies? Yeah, it's um, definitely, I mean, all of the, all of the, the, the sort of in between Star Wars movies were, I, <laughs> You know, there were a lot of there were a lot more of those than there have have been Star Wars in my career. Right. <laughs> Star Wars, you know, the last six years has kind of been the bulk of stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course. But like, you know, like when I started, the, I think the first film project I worked on was um, AI, wow. and that was, you know, I was thinking, oh, this is the my career is only going to go downhill from here. I'm working on a. <laughs> a Stanley Kubrick slash Steven Spielberg right. movie. How many people get to say they've ever done that? I mean, yeah. it's just going to go downhill, you know? Um, and they were all, all of them are great. I mean, uh, War of the Worlds, I think I've worked on five Spielberg films. Wow. Um, he's such a great, such a great director to work for. He's, mm-hmm. he's so, um, so sort of giving and, and, uh, really kind of lets you uh, play and try stuff as long as it's telling his story, you know, he's, right. and then, uh, yeah, Crystal Skull was, <laughs> I mean, who's, I would never ever turn down a chance to work on an Indiana Jones film. So it's right. like, I, another one where it's like, holy cow, I'm getting to work on an indie, you know? Right. And yeah. I mean that, that one, it's like now, of course, you know, not probably not my favorite indie, but, but you know, all you can just do your best at the time with with everything, and it's all you can do. I mean, really, Crystal Skull, I think, was unfairly judged at the initial output because I think when looking back at it, and especially comparing it to the adventure films, especially surrounding it, the set pieces and the characters, and just the amount of gusto they're really going for it is very admirable, and I think is is kind of holding up as you go down the line. What were some of the design elements that you were focusing on during that production process? Well, since then, we were really just thinking about, you know, it was more about uh, visual effects. Um, right. It was a lot of the big sequences like um we were calling it doomtown the um mm-hmm. the that that whole uh, melting of all the mannequins out on the lawn and yeah the, the whole destruction i mean i had to uh that was one of the first times i was really starting to get into real simple 3d and i i laid out that whole um that whole little suburb because we had to build a miniature of it and uh we we kind of blew it apart with these big fans and so that you know it looked like uh, a shock wave coming through and then looking at all that reference you know you have to look at that reference we were just for a couple months we're just staring right. at all that stuff and then of course akator was the big right pyramid at the end and um you know the way that uh the interior of that pyramid the spaceship design a lot of that stuff hadn't really been fully um, sort of fleshed out by the uh, the normal art department. So we did it. 
I love it. I, I, I you mentioned the the scaled model for for the nuclear site, and there are some incredible behind the scenes pictures of because when you say miniature, it really almost doesn't put into words what that actually was built like because that was a, a very intensive model set and a very very impressive model set. Yeah, that that I have to say in my career at ILM, the the getting to work with the model shop was always one of my favorite treats, and yeah. especially especially when they did like when those guys would build. We sort of you know now there's that sort of term called bigature because because mm-hmm. they they you know that their scale yeah but these are it's a it is a really large model. And it's always fun if you can get there on those, be there at the times when they when they blow things up. It's yeah. it's a, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess then moving into the initial production of Force Awakens, um, what was very special about that, and I think what really brought out a lot of the design elements that are so iconic now in such a short amount of time was. Uh, I believe it was referred to as kind of a a guided imagery process that the ILM art department worked on. How did that start? I know it started really with Michael Arndt and while he was developing his story, and then how did that evolve when JJ became involved and and that process continued? Yeah, the interesting thing that whole guided imagery that's that's uh, uh, Rick Carter, the production designer. He really got things ramped up. I think we had our first meeting. Uh, it was January, early January of 2013, wow. and he has this whole term he likes to use of guided imagery, and and it's basically putting a bunch of imagery. It could be it could just be reference. It could be old films, f- film frames, of course, uh, concept art as well, and and just to and just put that together, maybe put it up on a wall and just have everybody look at it and see where things can go. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, that original hit was, there were a handful of us really just generating art. Like, imagine me, you know, being a lifelong Star Wars fan. <laughs> Rick Carter's like the, one, he asks me to join the project. So already, like, weak in the knees. Like, I can't, but one, one I'm thinking, oh my God, they're going to do another Star Wars. We all thought it was over. Uh, George had said, you know, we're done. And and then I'm on the team. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And then two, his brief, his, his initial brief was, well, what what would your Star Wars be? <laughs> yeah, that's a dream brief, right? That is... <laughs> yeah. And yeah, then, geez. <laughs> Yeah, once again, I'm at a point in my career where I'm going, oh, it's all downhill from here. It's never going to get any better than this. And he literally was like, you know, so let's talk about it. What's what's what do you, what's going to be in this movie? What do you think's going to be in this movie? And so we're all just like, literally just shooting from the hip, like, well, we want to see Luke again. So I think the first things I did on the movie were some portraits of of Luke and we had a rough idea of this sort of Colonel Kurtz, you know, idea where he'd be in a cave and, and kind of PTSD, you know, from God knows what, what happens to a a person's soul when they're shocked for like 45 seconds from dark force lightning, you know, but you know, like, so a lot of it was really just 
blue sky ballpark, like really there, there was no ballpark. The Star Wars was the ballpark. And then as Michael was starting to formulate a script, he would send us or talk about ideas with us. And then we might spend the week illustrating ideas that, that help him visualize his writing and we do a lot of this now so the the writers will have ideas we'll illustrate those because they kind of want to see if they'll work visually working with the writers was really great they were just spitballing ideas and we would illustrate them and try to we would you know we would try to help them prove the concept of those ideas visually it's been nice we we've been doing a lot of that to help well and it kind of helps maybe now lately it kind of almost helps budget things too but mm -hmm. but it's it's sort of like getting in there while the script is even being formulated which right. is kind of fun for us it's that's super fun and it was it was a really great experience on force awakens i loved it yeah well i mean especially force awakens and we'll, we'll dive into rogue one as well but force awakens you had a a, a hand in creating some of the most iconic pieces that came out of that movie and i'd love to kind of just run through them maybe uh character by character and if you have any stories or insights into how that process happened um i would love to to hear it sure okay first you mentioned luke and old man luke and that evolved over time i'm sure and as you mentioned that kind of hermit idea was a george idea from the very get-go he was talking about that for a very long time that he would end up being kind of a an old ben in in exile kind of thing what was that like bringing this character that you grew up with back on, onto the screen that i mean man i was you know as a kid i i might have gone as luke skywalker twice for help <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and so yeah getting to work on that especially hearing the idea you know now as an adult you know when they when that whole idea of you know the the whole cave and all that i was just like oh this is this is so good and and when rick said okay you know he was talking about all this stuff and he says okay um who wants to work on what and i my hand shot up i'm like luke 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 <laughs> yeah. um and and getting i mean that whole idea was just such a great you know it, I thought it was just such a fun idea, and I remember working on that piece. I was only on, on sort of part-time at first on that project, but I remember uh -huh. bringing that one home and working it on the weekend because I was just like, this one's this one's too much fun. I'm going to do all the work. And, and just trying to really find a, um, find a look for him that, that uh, it looked like he, you know, he'd had a real rough go of it, you know? Right. I mean, there's some very interesting pieces in, especially um, the incredible Art of Star Wars, Force Awakens book of Luke. And I remember um, some of those pieces came out and it was kind of hinting at like a darker Luke or even a dark side Luke. And some of the pieces in here kind of reflect that as well. Um, some of the pieces, especially the ones that you did with the emotions in his eyes and kind of seeing the toll the years have taken on him are, are absolutely incredible. Yeah, it would. That would have been interesting. Like I was thinking of how they they definitely could have gone that way. Like the uh, I remember seeing Return of the Jedi as a kid, right. the first time you know, and if, even without those deleted sequences, the first time you see him, you're like, whoa, why is my man all in black here? What's right. going yeah. on? You know? Yeah, it was an interesting. 
thing. I mean, I, there was a piece in the book too, where I did kind of like this weird force nightmare thing of him turning into something really spooky. And, and it was almost like, I, I just did that thinking, Oh, maybe he had these really horrible kind of, you know, post-traumatic stress dreams, you know, or nightmares, you know, that they, they could have totally gone into that as well. I, you know, we were just again, grasping at straws to try and try and even if it's filling out a backstory, whether mm. it makes any screen time or not. I love it. I really, I really love it. And I especially loved the characterization of Luke that came out of that, especially, I mean, Last Jedi, Mark Hamill just gave it his all and, and it really brought a lot to that character that you loved and I, I loved so much as well. Yeah, it was great. It's great stuff. Well, another one that is super cool, um, especially in the books, I know that you had a, a big hand in, is this Jedi killer idea. Can you explain a little bit of how that seed started and then kind of your development process throughout it? Um, yeah, that one was funny because, again, that Rick, uh, Rick Carter was also kind of like, he's like, well, what do we know about Star Wars? Okay, so <laughs> we know we want Luke and... You know, and they'll, you know, we're pretty sure he's going to probably, he'll probably train somebody, you know, but um, there's going to be a villain, right? There's got to be a bad guy. Uh, Christian, why don't, why don't you do a bad guy? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and I just remember thinking, okay, well, uh, let me do one. I'll try one that's a less, like Vader was always very polished. And I'm like, well, okay, we've seen a bunch of Sith now we've seen other, you know, Sith and Dark Force people in video games and, and even the prequels with Darth Maul. And, um, but I'm like, okay, let's, let me just try going back to a, a helmet, but maybe we'll make him rougher mm. and uh, a little bit more used as opposed to being so polished. And, I, you know, I think I just tried three different ones. And literally the brief was make a, just make a bad bad guy, bad guy, Star Wars guy. That was it. And eventually what had happened was, um, I think as JJ got on board, I mean, I had done, oh God, I probably did, I think I must have 50 or 60 um, designs for this guy. And as JJ was getting on to writing, he was, I think the, the, the thought came out that, oh, maybe, uh, maybe this dark Jedi will be a wannabe Darth Vader. And I was like, okay, so we started pushing the helmets a little bit more Vader-esque. Right. Um, and it's funny, a lot of the, you know, every now and again, I'll post something on Instagram or something and people go, oh, this is way too Darth Vader. And I'm like, yeah, that, <laughs> that was kind of the point, but yeah, yeah that's, that's fine. You know, it's yeah. an open forum. Um, but uh, yeah, and I and I kind of liked that idea, and you know they did, they kind of uh, they they did kind of keep that thread throughout the the latest sequels, where um, Kylo is almost kind of a wannabe, and you know he's got a helmet and a mask, but he doesn't really need it, you know. And yeah, all of that just sort of started evolving, and and God, when we heard that he was going to be you know Han and Leia's son, we were just like, oh. That's, <laughs> okay, that's good that's a good twist you know yeah very very cool and uh, some of those designs like you mentioned the vader-esque ones remind me so much of some of the mccory concepts for vader's helmet 
um, especially the space helmet ideas that he was initially pitching around. I love those so much. And then the ones from the initial stuff before, I guess, the Vader um, stuff came in is were repurposed as Inquisitors in, in Rebels. What was that like, kind of seeing some of your designs almost lifted exactly and placed in kind of this animated medium? So, yeah, that um, the Ralph McQuarrie note, of course, like we're literally we were jokingly going to just get wristbands and say, what would Ralph do? because <laughs> you know? yeah. truthfully he he was the visual creator of this whole thing right. you know he just whatever he drew it sort of was star wars in a way right. so um but yeah like with the the inquisitors it's funny uh, dave filoni the the director of of rebels and yeah most of the animation that comes out of course he uh he, you know, we had all this leftover artwork from episode seven that wasn't used um, from Force Awakens. And he just kind of poured through and he goes, can I take this? <laughs> can, can I take this? And yeah. while there, I was like, geez, I've got, I got more stuff in Rebels than I did in, in Force <laughs> Awakens. Yeah. <laughs> One of Sabine's friends was my first pirate design. Dave took that. Uh-huh. as well and then i think there was something else i think i think a couple of things made it into resistance as well um it's all great i'm um i love that i love that that a lot of the stuff survives so i'm thrilled when i hear about it i mean it's a very star wars thing right designs that were done for the originals coming back and the prequels coming back in the sequels nothing has ever really gone when it comes to star wars design and i think that's what kind of builds this world yeah i mean even I, I know even on solo there was an old um colin cantwell uh i think it was a um star destroyer that right. that uh that james klein who was the design director on that it was really trying to bring back for the movie and I think they built it and everything, but the the sequence just got ended up getting cut. And yeah, we always try and get that old stuff in there just so that everything ties together, you know. Yeah, no, I love it, and I think the it was great because you can see it incredibly briefly, literally like half a second. You can see that Colin Cantwell ship at the beginning in the Imperial recruitment ad. Yeah, um, that's like playing, and you can see it. I'm like, oh, there it is. You know, they made the ship for it. They made the toy for it, and so it's good that it's still still a part of it and i know um, especially for mr cantwell that meant a lot to finally see one of his designs actually realized like that yeah he had such a um he had such an important um part in the the making of new hope that yeah you know he he, he doesn't get as much uh pr you know yeah a lot of people yeah, no, it's very interesting, especially kind of the oil rig mentality, right? All the little needles and all the kind of very intricate design that was kind of then taken over by Joe Johnson's stuff. I guess also one of the incredibly iconic pieces that came out of Force Awakens, uh, BB-8. What was that like design process-wise? I know the, the infamous thing now is the J.J. Abrams post-it note with the two with the two circles. What was it like taking that idea and then turning it into this you know, iconic droid now. Yeah, that it, it was so, it was such an interesting thing because I, you know, I felt like I'd worked for like months on Kylo or Jedi uh-huh. Killer. I was doing him. And, and then all of a sudden, like, uh, Darren Guilford, who's, who was co-production designer was like, 
hey, yeah, there's this this little droid that's going to be like a sidekick to to Ray. Do you what? You want to take a stab at that? And and I was I was like, oh yeah, okay, sure. Like you know, he's handing out all these giant sets to to all the other artists, and I get this little droid, and I was thinking, oh, well, okay, I'll, I'll do the little droid and not these big giant sets. And slowly it's like, J.J. wants him, I, I think the brief was, J.J. wants him to roll. And I'm like, oh, okay, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and so I did all these other versions, all these versions of where it was more of a wheel and not a ball. Um, and then finally, you know, and then, and then Way, 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 way early on, I did a, a Ray piece, um, a couple of them, when we first knew that the star, that, you know, this movie's Luke was going to be a female character. And I had a little floating droid next to her, and it was, it, it really looked like BB's head. It was orange, and it looked like the, you know, an R2 dome kind of, but floating. And so I kept using that. Uh, on the top of all my, all the, the, the sort of the bottom designs, I just kept kind of thinking, oh, well, you know what, I'm going to make it sort of like this. And then finally, when JJ does the sketch, um, I call it the snowman without a belly sketch, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. He just, he literally wants it that simple. Uh, I mean, it th- that by the time I, I think all in all, by the time that sketch came out, by the time it got kind of approved for the next stage, it was probably like two weeks, you know? Wow. So I think all in all, I would only was only on BB-8 for like maybe maybe three weeks total. It was... Uh-huh. It, so when, when I figured out that, you know, it was going to be this big, important design, I was like, God, I wish I had worked harder on it, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I wish I had worked. On it. And of course, it went to um, uh, the UK, and they 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 ended up resurfacing a lot. Uh, I think it was Jake Lunt Davies who did the work of of kind of redoing the body panels. You know, kept the orange and everything on there. But uh, and I, I I love what they did. It was you know in in those beginning stages, you know, between uh, Rick Carter and Darren Guilford, they I kept getting a ton of, they would give a ton of input of things they wanted on this droid and it was getting really busy. Everything got simplified down to uh, what BB-8 looks like now. But that was crazy. I mean, I had no, you know, you you just have no idea that as far as I know, that everyone's going to hate this character. It could be the most annoying droid in <laughs> all the films. You just never know, you know? Right. I know uh, you worked on some Maz designs as well. And then also in the book, which was very interesting to me, was some Yoda concepts as well. Were those kind of tied together or what was that process like developing Maz Kanata? Yeah, really, uh, when we first started Maz, um, we just knew there, you know, again, it was sort of one of those rough, like, Rick Carter things. Well, maybe there's like a Yoda character, like a... <laughs> And 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 Rick for the first couple passes, he's totally okay with. He's like, he's like, you know what? Just make it like a Yoda character. Just mm-hmm. go ahead and do that. And we're just gonna have a look at that and in context with everything, and see how it goes from there. And and I think 
I think so. At the first part, we were literally just doing very Yoda-esque style. We we knew that the character would be small. Uh, you know, not as obviously she didn't end up as small as Yoda. But you know, and we're just riffing off. We're like, okay, maybe it'll be kind of like that character from this Akira Kurosawa film. And you know, we're trying to we're trying to just do an alien version of that and. Uh, and then eventually uh, it came out that Rick Carter and JJ went to the same high school and they had this kind of legendary teacher named Rose Gilbert. I think Rick came up with the idea, let's pattern Maz after Rose. And we did. Like her big, thick, uh, Maz's sort of big, thick, goggly glasses were based on Rose's glasses. And that's that kind of just sort of grandmotherly wisdom smiley wisdom was also uh was her too and i think also her sharp wit as well um but yeah everything was sort of based on this this high school teacher that they had and you know i remember ian mckeg and i we we had, we had pictures up of of this teacher and we're like just trying to catch her essence you know well speaking of ian mckeg and, and kind of as we move from force awakens to rogue one one of my favorite pieces in there are two actually, and, and one is is just you credited in the piece, and one is you and Ian McKeg, which is the Han Solo kind of with the beard and with the the long duster jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? I guess that was kind of an initial part of the storyboarding process at the very very beginning during the Michael Arndt phase, or what was that? What was that initially yeah, that, for? That was like okay, we need a key piece for every returning character, mm-hmm. and um, Ian and I had like this conversations about like, okay, well, what do we, what do we want Harrison Ford to look like? We kind of figured out Luke already. And Ian was talking about how great at this point, uh, you know, it's six years ago, how great Jeff Bridges looked in true grit and how you can take an, you know, you take an older actor, like let's see about the beard and we'll do the duster and maybe cause you know, one of the other things we were trying to do was bring back the, the, the original vibe of what George was going for with mixing Westerns and, and almost, you know, New Hope was almost shot like a documentary in some ways. And we were trying and you know, even Akira Kurosawa stuff. So we were trying to, to hearken back to that stuff and, and literally do a Sergio, Sergio Leone style poster uh, of Han Solo. Um, uh, Ian did the sketch for that uh, with Rick while I was working something else and they got it to a place where they liked it and then um, I kind of painted it up and finished it and that's mm. we sort of tag team that piece and I loved that piece I love it too and I always say you know I love Force Awakens I love the sequels and the biggest crime the only thing that I would change is give Han Solo a damn beard <laughs> right that would have been that would have <laughs> been great it would have been cool. You know, I think a lot of that, I don't, I don't really know what the story is on that, but you know, yeah. you, you come up with the concepts that you like, but at the end of the day, Harrison Ford gets to decide what he looks like. He's Harrison <laughs> Ford, you know? Right. Um, and I think, I think that just ends up happening a lot on movies that, that the, the actors themselves are, they're going to have their own ideas or what they're comfortable with. And, and I'm, I'm, I just assume that might be what happened with the beard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, uh, briefly before we go into to Rogue One, and this is you don't have to really comment on it, but I will say my favorite piece of the Art of Force Awakens book is um, if people are. I'm sure people are reading at home, or people are reading at home and, and kind of looking at it as well as during this interview. And uh, page 83 is is a beautiful picture that you did of uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 looking out into the sky. And I just always, you know, they're they're the heroes of, of the of these movies, right? And I've always I've always loved that piece. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that was the um, yeah. Rick does the Rick Carter does these great. Uh, he calls them moviescapes, and. Basically, it, it, to go back to that guided imagery th- thing, we do a everybody pitches in and does a piece for every key moment in the film, and then he puts it together in like a keynote or a PowerPoint, and you can almost go through the whole film. It's it's like watching a, a, a you know a picture book version of the film, and and that that piece was. Um, the droids missing Luke. Like, where's Luke Skywalker? He's he's got to be on one of those stars somewhere. You know. I love it. I really love it. Um, well, I guess moving into then Rogue One and, and kind of doing that guided imagery process all over again. Um, what was it like building from John Knowles' very early, very rough idea, um, and then kind of moving into what the story would become? Yeah, the it was it was fun at the very beginning when John got sort of the green light um, I mean I had worked with John for years because he worked mm-hmm. at LM and and when he told us the idea we were like oh my god <laughs> how the rebels get the plans for the Death Star I mean who doesn't want to see that right right and his his original idea which th- there was a thread of it still in in Rogue One was it's literally just a um, it's sort of just like a, in a lot of ways, like a heist movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a squad of soldiers doing the impossible mission. Um, and at that beginning, yeah, it was, I think with him, I just ended up designing the the whole sort of cast of characters that of course changed, but K2SO right. was in there. And of course, Jin was in there, but there were, a couple of creatures as well. There was like some muscle, almost like a, a safe cracker kind of little alien. You know, that very simple idea, sort of like basically, I always thought of as like a Force Ten from Navarone, right? Um, Star Wars. You know, once Gareth came on, and um, you know, then they have to they have to put in they have to put in sort of their what gets they have to breathe their own their own life into it as well so that, 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 uh, Gareth can kind of get into it. And, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it, it very much evolved into kind of away from that. I mean, you, you can tell it wasn't quite a force 10 from Navarone movie, but, yeah. um, but where it went, it was like every week they would come and kind of pitch us the story and, and then we would show them the artwork and it was this really fun collaborative process. Gareth, has an amazing eye for artwork. Um, mm. Very, very uh, particular about what designs he likes. And, you know, and, and of course, as Star Wars movies seem to do, the story just kept broadening, too. And all of a sudden, oh, my God, we're going to have Darth Vader in there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, my God, Darth Vader's going to be in? Oh, okay. We didn't know that was going to happen. And, yeah, it just kept getting sort of bigger and bigger and, uh, that they just all the films seem to do that, and I don't think anyone complains because you, you get it's sort of like 
inviting more friends to a party, you know? Yeah. Well, let's talk about Vader briefly, because I know you worked at least a little bit on Vader's lair and the Vader's castle that is now so important kind of in this new canon. What was that like? How was that initially given as a direction and, and where did you kind of see it going? Yeah, when we when I first heard that um, Vader was going to be back here back, or we were going to see him again, it was all a matter of like, well, where are we going to, where is he going to be on a ship? Kind of, is he going to be in his his little pod on a star destroyer or or is it going to be a new like imperial base or what and then i think i think it was gareth who just said well how about can we go back to mustafar and i remember being so confused i'm like well why would he want to be on mustafar it was like the worst part of his life (laughs) (laughs) yeah like the worst thing and then i as i started thinking about i'm like well i guess if you're a dark force guy and you 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 can use all that negativity as power maybe that's the place to be you know yeah and so when gareth was saying yeah let's try uh let's try mustafar we you know we started we started looking back at some of ralph's old artwork and looking at some of his old vader castles i think they were for i think they were going to be for jedi Mm -hmm, the Uh imperial city yeah yeah, and some of these were like up in the mountains, um, snowy castle, you know, like almost gothicy kind of castles. And we're like, okay, maybe we can we can build a structure like that on Mustafar. And then, uh, oh, we're going to need interiors. And we kind of talked about, well, he's going to need a a bacta tank because he's he's always kind of constantly healing, you know, keeping. Right. Um, and that was fun. That the back the tank room just got bigger and bigger and bigger and taller and and then the floor dropped away and you could see a lava river down there and and then of course by the time they shoot the movie th- that was one of the scenes that had to get scaled down and I think for for probably for good reason it wasn't nece- it wasn't really necessary you know right it was super rad though <laughs> it was like a <laughs> body horror star wars element you're like this is this is nuts yeah it was it was super fun yeah i did this whole series of images of Krennic landing and then walking all the way to the Bacta chamber. And, and I kept trying to make each image just a little creepier than the last. Like he's almost <laughs> like, he's, like he's in a haunted house, you know, right. like totally out of place. You shouldn't be here. You're probably not going to survive. Right. Here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was a, that was a fun sequence for sure. I love it. Well, I would love to talk about other projects that you've worked on. What have What have you been working on now? What What's kind of I mean, if you can talk about it, um, what have you uh, What have you been working towards? Last was it last May, I switched from the ILM art department over to the Lucasfilm art department. Okay, um, and I'm now uh, my direct supervisor is Doug Chang. Okay, he's a he's not a small name in, in Star Wars <laughs> art history. Yeah, he's done a couple things, I think. Yeah, Doug Chang, who you might have heard of, uh, right. he did a couple of Star Wars things already, and uh, and yeah, like I mean, I've been I've been spending a lot of time working for Lucasfilm, but sort of being loaned out through ILM, and I just kind of made it official, and just I literally moved my desk like thirty five feet. <laughs> you know, it's on the other side of a kitchen basically now right. to to work in this. 
But yeah, uh, lately, let's see. I mean, I've been working on, of course, episode nine and then a lot on the Mandalorian TV show. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be rad. Of course, I'm, you know, can't say anything about, but I'm (laughs) looking forward to both of them at the end of this year. We'll have to do it. We'll do a follow up interview in about a year. We'll we'll, we'll regroup then. (laughs) Yeah. Lots to talk about. Um, that's great. Any are you going to celebration? Any appearances? Anything that fans can come meet you at? I I am unfortunately not going to celebration, but um, at the end of this month, at the end of March, I'm um, doing a, uh, a a small. It's sort of a small uh, conference demo in Florence. Okay. For Bobby uh, Bobby Chu School, uh, it's called Schoolism. And so, yeah, if any, anyone, in, uh, anyone in Europe wants to go down and watch me put, throw together an image, hopefully I'll get to finish <laughs> this time. And then towards, uh, in September, he's also, he's also doing an, uh, kind of an expo called Lightbox, Lightbox Expo in, um, in Burbank. Um, and it'll be, it's sort of the same thing, but it's a lot more art-related. So art, animation art, concept art. And so the, right now, just those two things. I'm I'm trying to keep it light, so I have a lot of energy for work, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's so great. Well, uh, Mr. Allsman, thank you so so much for taking the time and talking. This has been just awesome. I, I, while you were talking, I was just flipping through the books. I'm like, okay, what about this? What about this? What can we talk about? And it's been a, a huge honor, and I really appreciate it. Oh, great! I'm I'm I was happy to be able to do it. I've wanted to have Mr. Allsman on the show for such a long time, and it was truly worth the wait. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for the incredible work and the incredible stories. Definitely follow him on Instagram at C-A-L-Z-M-A-N-N to see so, so much more. In our show notes as well is a link to our Talking Bay 94 merch store right in time for celebration. Next week, we interview the father of the Thai bomber, Mr. Mark Thorpe from ILM. So until then, stay tuned, leave a five-star review, and may the force be with you.